Welcome to Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. Now here's your host, Dr. Katrina Forseth, a missionary serving as State Director of CEF of Illinois. Hi, and thank you for listening to Telling Future Generations, where we seek to ignite God's people with a passion and to equip others in telling future generations about God and His Word. The Backyard Bible Clubs that we call in CEF Fide Clubs are well underway. Whether these clubs are held in homes, backyards, in churches, parks, housing areas, or community centers, all the summer Bible clubs are centered on Christ to help children understand first and foremost who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and what Jesus provides for all those who by God's grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, trust in Jesus for the promise of eternal life. Our Bible lesson theme this summer is called Jesus, My Savior and Friend. For five consecutive days during the Bible teaching time, we teach five different Bible lessons that are focused on the life of Christ that draws out from them the message of salvation. Lesson one is on Jesus forgives the sin of a paralyzed man. Lesson two, Jesus calms a storm. Lesson three, Jesus and the Samaritan woman at the well. Lesson four, Jesus heals the centurion servant. And lesson five, Jesus and the rich young ruler. At our CF training school this year, our staff not only shared with our summer missionaries how to teach the Bible lessons with children by bringing out, drawing out those messages, salvation, and gospel points, both for the saved and unsaved child, but also we wanted to teach our summer missionaries to do a Bible study, like a background study of each lesson to help them at a deeper level understand for themselves the message of the passage. Lesson five, the story of Jesus and the rich young ruler, that was my Bible study assignment to teach with our returning summer missionaries. But to be absolutely honest with you, when I first received my assignment, I wasn't all that thrilled about it, and I would have preferred a different lesson to teach. But as I got into the preparation of my Bible study assignment, I fell in love with this passage and was so excited to share it with our students. Mike Fox, who is one of our CF local directors, has served a long time here in Illinois in the Joliet Bolingbrook area. He's also a former pastor and a graduate from Moody Bible Institute. He loves to say and to share with our students and staff that when it comes to studying the Bible, that we always are to remember three things, context, context, and context. You know, that is so true. And that is also so very true here with this passage that is found in Mark chapter 10. Just a few verses back in Mark 10, before the rich young ruler comes running up to Jesus and kneeling down, bowing down before him, saying, Good master, teacher, what shall I do that I might inherit eternal life? The verses just immediately before that, in context, Jesus had just explained to his disciples, using children as an example, as an illustration, that the only way that one receives the kingdom of God and enters in is to receive it as a child. Question. What do children bring with them to inherit or to merit eternal life? The answer, nothing. And that's exactly what Jesus's point was. Children, they don't have any wealth, status, or stature, and they're often looked down in society as kind of like the lowest category among people. But that is not so with Jesus. Jesus rebuked his disciples and said these words to them. He said, let the children, he says, allow the children, suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for such is the kingdom of God. In other words, Jesus said, the kingdom of God belongs to and is open to children too, because the kingdom of God has nothing to do with status, stature, or merit. But then Jesus goes on in Mark ten fifteen to say, Verily or truly I say unto you, whosoever shall not receive the kingdom of God as a little child, he shall not enter therein. 
In the Gospel of Mark, proceeding almost immediately after Jesus said the statement concerning children and how one receives or does not receive eternal life, this is where Mark records in his Gospel that was where Jesus had gone a little further in the way, and this rich young man came running to Jesus and asked his burning question, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So right off the bat, we have two problems here that Jesus immediately addresses with this young man. Problem number one, this man doesn't understand who Jesus is. Jesus isn't just a good teacher. Jesus is God come in the flesh. Jesus himself is God. Problem number two, this rich young ruler, he doesn't understand who he is, that he is not good in himself and can never obtain goodness on his own that is worthy of God's standard of good. And that is why there is nothing, absolutely nothing, that he himself can do to inherit the gift of eternal life. Eternal life can only be received through trusting faith in Jesus. Jesus said in verse 18, why do you call me good? There's none good but one, that is God. Jesus is pointing out here to this man that he didn't even know the scriptures and he had missed a central doctrinal teaching that is taught from cover to cover that only God alone is good and man is not. Way back in Exodus 34, after the Lord God himself wrote down for Moses on the two hewn tablets of stone, the commandments of God, God himself declared that one of his attributes is not just that God is good, but that God is abundant in goodness and in truth. You see, there's only one who is good, and that is God. As my friend, Brother Bill, Bible Bill, likes to say, who is God? God is good. Who is man? We are not good. For there's no one who is righteous. There's no one who is good. No, not one. And that's what the Bible says. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory, the standard of God. But apparently this young man He still didn't get the point, so Jesus had to spell it out for him. Jesus goes back to answer his first question of, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said, you know the commandments, do not commit adultery, do not kill, do not steal, do not bear false witness, defraud not, honor thy father and mother. One commentary that I read thought it was interesting that Jesus only emphasized with this man the second half of the Ten Commandments. The first table, the first half of the Ten Commandments, emphasize our relationship with God. The second half of the commandments, the second table, emphasize our relationship with others. In the second table that Jesus emphasized, he completely left off mentoring the first table when Jesus first starts to answer this young man's question about inheriting eternal life. The rich young ruler responded almost in a knee-jerk response to Jesus saying, Master, all these I've observed, I've kept from my youth. In other words, this young man responds by saying, Check, yes, Master, yes, teacher, I've already done all that. In verse 21, when I was teaching our CF Sermon Missionaries this Bible study, I told them to circle this verse, verse 21, and bring out right here the love of Jesus for others, and to emphasize the love Jesus has for the children and their Bible clubs. I love how verse 21 starts out by saying, then Jesus, looking at him, beholding him, loved him. Here we see that Jesus wasn't just engaging in some type of a verbal wordsmith game with him or an intellectual duel like a 
biblical knowledge test competition. No, Jesus, he knew that this man's eternal life was on the line, and Jesus not only cared about him, Jesus loved him. And it was because Jesus loved him that Jesus must speak the truth to the core issue to this young man. This man, in his mind, he thought he had kept all the Ten Commandments from one to ten plus more. But Jesus knew the eternal truth that this man had transgressed the first and foremost command concerning the first half of the tablet and his relationship with God that begins first with having no other gods before God and to love and to worship the Lord God above all and to kneel and to bow down to no other but God alone. The sad truth was that even though Jesus loved this man, this man loved something else more than Jesus. This man loved his riches above Jesus, above God himself. Jesus put his finger right on the issue. Jesus said, one thing you lack, go your way, sell whatever you have, give to the poor, and you have treasure in heaven, and come take up the cross and follow me. The Bible records that this rich young ruler was sad and grieved in his heart as he walked away from Jesus, for he had great possessions. But the issue was not his wealth, his riches, his heart core issue is whom he loved more, valued more, and in whom he was ultimately trusting in for eternal life. Was he trusting in himself and what he could bring to the table, his status, his wealth, his stature, or even his perceived goodness standard? Or was he trusting in Jesus alone, receiving God's kingdom, not through deserved merit, but in receiving faith in response to Jesus's love? I share with our summer missionaries that we do not have to guess at the meaning of this encounter with Jesus and the rich young ruler because Jesus himself, our master teacher, our Lord, he tells us what it means in the application to our lives. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? Then in Mark 10 and verses 24 through 26, it tells us twice in a space of just a couple verses here that Jesus's own disciples and those standing around him were utterly astonished by what Jesus had said. But Jesus, he doesn't take his foot off the gas. Jesus answers by switching his introductory terminology, which I think is a little interesting, having just talked about in the previous verses about receiving the kingdom of God as little children. Jesus then goes on to emphasize even stronger and says, children, how hard it is for them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. And if that wasn't strong enough, then Jesus, the master teacher, our God incarnate, then uses a hyperbole, an exaggerated statement to drive the point home even deeper. Jesus said, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. Well, what does that mean? Some commentaries I looked at when I was doing research, it came down to three options. First, this camel eye of a needle statement of Jesus should be taken literally, they said. Can a huge one hump or two hump camel possibly pass through a sewing thread needle, a literal eye of a needle? No way. The second option is that this camel passing through the eye of the needle was possibly a name of a side gate in Jerusalem that could be used after hours to enter into the city versus the main gate that was closed by then. But this side gate was so small that in order to enter through a pack animal like a camel would have to be unloaded of all of its baggage it carried and the camel must actually get down on its knees to crawl through and pass through the small gate. Well, you know, that's an interesting possibility, but some commentaries that I looked at, they couldn't even find such a game that was named 
in ancient Jerusalem like as a eye of a needle. Plus, the interpretation of it seems a bit stretched. Is Jesus really saying here that we need to unload excess baggage in our life and to get down our knees to pass through to inherit eternal life? I don't think so. And that doesn't even make good biblical doctrinal sense. The third view is kind of where I landed on. It seems to be the most clear and fits with the cultural background interpretation that the Jewish culture and religion at that day had no real assurance that one would inherit eternal life because by this time, the Jewish religion was all about works and rule following, keeping the law by earning and meriting your way to inherit eternal life. Apparently, the religious rulers had circled around a man-made teaching, which was nothing less than a grave doctrinal error, that if one had wealth and status with others, that this was a sign of God's favor upon this person, and that person of all people would most likely inherit eternal life. Well, Jesus throws a big fat pack camel at their erroneous teaching and says a big no, that is not so, for neither wealth or law keeping has nothing to do with eternal life. Then in verse 26, which is the climatic statement in this passage that is stated by the astonished onlookers standing next and around Jesus, they ask Jesus and turn to him almost in complete exhaustion and say, well, then who can be saved? In their wrong thinking, these people, they reason, well, if a rich man who is a Ten Commandment good rule keeper follower isn't guaranteed eternal life status, then who can be saved? And then in verse 27, this concluding verse in this passage, Jesus answers their direct question with a direct answer. The answer is simple. No one can be saved apart from God. Jesus said, with men, it is impossible, but not with God. For with God, all things are possible. Jesus makes it clear in this passage that salvation, the gift of eternal life, cannot be earned or inherited by birth, by rights, by wealth, or by deeds done or not done. Salvation, eternal life, is only possible because of God. Why? Because that's how bad sin is. And all of us, the Bible said, has sinned against a holy God. Only God is good, and no one, no, not one of us, can ever measure up to God's standard of the absolute goodness and glory of God. We cannot go to God. So God must come to us. Enter stage right, Jesus, the God-man, the incarnation, the gospel story. Through Christ's perfect life lived for us and his perfect sacrifice on the cross given for us, we now, through trusting, receiving faith in Jesus alone, can enter into the kingdom of God and have the promise of eternal life. The message of this account with Jesus and the rich young ruler is simple, yet so profound. Who are we trusting in for eternal life? in ourself, in our status, our stature, or our outward standards of supposed righteousness? Or are we trusting in, resting in, and looking to Jesus alone and who Jesus is, why Jesus came, and what Jesus provides for all those who by God's grace alone, through faith alone, and Jesus alone, have the promise of eternal life. For eternal life is a gift of God. With man, eternal life is not possible, but with God and because of Jesus, who he is and what he has done, salvation's gate is wide open, narrow, but wide open for all those who trust in him. Who are you trusting in for eternal life? I don't know about you, but as for me, I trust in Jesus and Jesus alone for my salvation. Thank you again for listening, and we hope you join us again next week. 
Thank you for joining us today for Telling Future Generations, the radio ministry of Child Evangelism Fellowship of Illinois. To learn how you can partner with Child Evangelism Fellowship to reach children in your community, please call 309-688-9699 or visit cefofillinois.com. Please join us again next week at the same time for Telling Future Generations.